Please take your Bibles and turn them with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And if you do not have a Bible, just lift up your hand and we'll go ahead and get one over to you right now. To either borrow or to keep if you don't own a Bible. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 14, read on down through the end of the chapter. This is such a glorious passage. Let the words sink in as we read this together. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do bow our hearts before you this morning. And Father, I pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you may grant Harbin's church strength with power through your spirit and our inner beings. Father, I pray that Christ would dwell in the hearts of the people of Harbin's church through faith. I pray that Harbin's church would be a church rooted and grounded in love. Father, I pray that you would give us strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you would fill us with all the fullness of God. Father, thank you that you do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We pray to you, and you exceed our expectations. You are generous. You are so gracious. And Father, I pray this morning that as the word goes forth, we would receive it with delight, that we may eat it as food, that it may satisfy our spirits, and that you may get the glory in the middle of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so very proud of my, my son, Noah, who turns 13 tomorrow. I'm proud of him in so many different ways, but one of the things that he's worked on, you guys know, if you know Noah, you've heard me talk about him, and I've used illustrations about my kids all the time, that he is um, a double black belt in karate. And in his room, we have this, two of these little things. We actually need a third one because he's run out of room for all his belts. We have like a little ladder here, something that looks like this, and um, there's two of them. One of them starts with that white belt, and it goes one up, has all the colors, and then the brown, red, and this kind of progresses through all the different stages that he's been through. And he's way beyond this point now. I think we're probably two or three up on the next ladder that we need to get. But um, this 
image popped into my mind as I concentrated on this text this weekend because what this is, it's a progression. We can look at the past and we can see this progression of Noah's maturity, at least in the area of karate, by just looking at the different belts and the different things he's accomplished. And like I said, I'm very proud of him. I look at this and I see other maturity as well. And I can get real... I shouldn't have done this illustration. I'm so proud of my son. And he's growing in the Lord in so many ways. And, um, and so when I think about this right here, it, I, I looked at this text this week, and, and you see this prayer that Paul prays, and he's praying for this progression. Uh, the, 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 the text actually progresses. He's praying for the maturity of the believers in Ephesus. And because this book was not only written for the believers in Ephesus, it was probably also a circular letter, and circular to the point that we get it too. It's part of the New Testament. Therefore, this was written for us as well. And this prayer for, that Paul is praying here is for us as well. The, the pinnacle of this ladder of progression in this text is verse 19. And uh, there's three main requests that Paul's making here in the text. I'll get to those in a second, but the last one is this, verse 19, that he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and, and the second part here, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, filled with all the fullness of God. Now we'll get to that in a minute, we'll talk some more about that, but basically he's wanting us to get to a point of maturity and holiness. That's his prayer for the Ephesians, that's his prayer for us. So basically the text that we're looking at today is a prayer that Paul is praying on behalf of the church. Uh, this prayer began actually in verse 1. If you'll recall, Paul begins this prayer in verse 1. He says, for this reason, and then he kind of has an ADD moment. He gets a little distracted, and he gives us a very large parenthetical comment that we looked at last week. And that comment was basically about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the church, the mystery of God bringing Jews and Gentiles together into one family, one household, and how the church, the church is designed to display the manifold wisdom of God to all the heavenly beings. What a great mystery that is. So after that glorious parenthetical comment, he comes back to his prayer in verse 14. So I want to walk up this ladder uh, of this prayer with Paul today, and I want us to examine our own hearts as how it pertains to us in our own walk with the Lord, in our own holiness and maturity, but also examine how we pray for others. How do we intercede for others in the church? Do we do it like Paul does? And so I want us to jump into this, but since we're looking at a passage on prayer, I want us to take a moment to pray once again before we continue. Heavenly Father, we know that if we're going to be the type of people, the type of believers, the type of Christians that Paul prays for here in this text, we need to confess our sin. So we ask now, Lord, that you forgive us of our sin that we have brought in with us this morning, this whatever unconfessed sin we might have. Lord, whatever might be distracting us. Lord, I know our lives are filled with different stresses and distractions and and God, may we lay it all down at your feet. May we just listen to what you want to teach us this morning. May we be, as we've mentioned before, expository listeners of the text. And not just be consumers. 
So God, we pray now that you would move however you see fit, Lord. May your spirit have freedom to speak through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins this section by saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now this is Paul's second prayer in the first half of the book of Ephesians. If you recall, the first prayer uh, that we studied, it's actually similar to this prayer and it parallels it in many different ways, was in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And if you look at chapter 1 all the way to the end of this chapter, chapter 3, you see a pattern with Paul here, okay? He, he starts off with a, he'll, he'll, he'll give a teaching, a, a section of exalted teaching, and then he goes into prayer right after he teaches that. And then he teaches again, and then he goes into prayer. So the, in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we have this tremendous teaching where, where Paul is, is teaching about our uh, blessings, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. You remember we entitled that section that Paul is blessing God for blessing us with every conceivable blessing. And that's what verses 3 through 10 of, verse, of chapter 1 was all about. And right after that, in, uh, in verses uh, 11, through 13, 11 through 14, he begins to talk about our inheritance in Christ. And, the, and, and so after that, he begins to pray. He can't help it but to, but to pray. And we, we see that prayer in verses 15 through 23. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he talks about how we were once dead in our trespasses, but we've been made alive in Christ through grace. And, and so we read that in verses 1 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2, we read this wonderful section about how God has reconciled us to one another, Jew and Gentile. He's reconciled us to one another and reconciled us to himself through the blood of Christ. And after that, he comes again into a section of prayer. It says here that I bow my knees before the Father. This gives us a, an idea of how earnestly Paul is praying for the Ephesian church and for for the believers who are going to read this letter. Because bowing the knee was not the common posture for prayer during those days, during Jesus' time. Standing was the common posture for prayer. You may recall that Jesus a couple of times talks about how people stand and pray, and he would get on to the Pharisees, how they would stand on the street corners and, and pray. Standing was the common posture for prayer. But there was times when people would fall to their knees or fall on their face, and this was a sign of exceptional, uh, an exceptional degree of earnestness and passion and, and intensity. And Jesus demonstrated that in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he bows his knees before the Father. He's, he's earnest. He's, he's, we should recognize that this prayer is of utmost importance. Verse 15, it says, From whom every family in heaven on, and on earth is named. Now this is a, a curious phrase here. He bows his knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We're not going to spend a lot of time examining that, that phrase right there. It's kind of, kind of strange. What, is, what does Paul mean here? Well, in the Greek, it's surely a, a play on words. Okay, the word for father is pater. The, the word for every is pasa. And the word for family is patria. And so he's got this kind of, these P words going on here. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a play on words, if you will. Uh, the ESV is giving us the literal translation here with what Paul is saying. Uh, but perhaps Paul here is referring back to the, the Jewish-Gentile context of this book that we've looked at so far. And how God has brought Jews and Gentiles and he is the father of all who've been brought into his kingdom. Or perhaps there's a larger scope here in view. And that Paul is simply referring to the fact that, that God is sovereign. And he's the sovereign father of all nations and all people. 
And in that sense, from him and to him are all things, and therefore every notion of fatherhood is from him and points to him. Regardless of what Paul exactly means by this phrase, he's appealing to God the Father. And that appeal consists of a series of petitions that work almost like I mentioned earlier, like a ladder here, in which the aspirations for his readers climb higher and higher and higher to the point of the second half of verse 19, which you already read, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what a request that is, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the pinnacle of Paul's letter, of his, of his ladder here of petitions. This is the peak of what he's desiring and praying for us. And we'll look at that in a little bit here, exactly that, that pinnacle. But first, let's look at three basic petitions that build on one another. And they all begin with the word that or so that. Verse 16, that according. In verse 17, that you. In verse 19, that you. So that phrase, that, is, a, is the key signal that he's starting a new prayer request here. But within each prayer request, within each petition, there are elements that I want us to look at here. So let's jump right into this. Okay, I'm going to have a picture of a ladder here. If I see if the clicker is working, there we go. First thing I want us to see is that Paul intercedes on behalf of believers for them to, first of all, be inwardly strengthened with the Holy Spirit. Be inwardly strengthened with the Holy Spirit power. Be inwardly strengthened with Holy Spirit power. I'm sorry you can't read that very well. Uh, it looks fine on the computer back there, but doesn't look good on the screen. So this is the first prayer request that Paul makes on behalf of believers here is that we be inwardly strengthened with Holy Spirit power. This is the first part of the first prayer request. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul begins by appealing to the limitless resources of God's glory, that according to his riches, his riches, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Christian maturity, Christian growth, Christian trajectory towards holiness begins by appealing to God to grant the resources by which the strengthening and the maturity takes place. I think we look at our desire to be a mature Christian and a lot of times we say, well, what can I do to become a stronger Christian? Which isn't necessarily a bad question. The problem is it's the wrong starting point. We start with appealing to the resources that God provides, namely his riches that he provides in glory. That's where we start. We do not pray that we get our act together or pray for someone else that they get their act together, but that God does a work in them despite the fact that they probably won't get their act together. So if I'm praying for your Christian maturity and you're praying for my Christian maturity, I'm not going to pray that you somehow figure it out and get your act together. Because I know you and you know me and we're sinners. We're not going to get our act together. What's going to happen is that we need to pray that God would do a work in our heart, that he gets all the glory. And we appeal to his limitless resources to make it happen. We pray that he may grant one to be strengthened. The word strengthened here is in the passive voice, making it all the more clear that Paul is referring to God doing the strengthening, not us. And how? Well, it says here, with power through his spirit in your inner being. Christian growth and maturity is a work of power by the Spirit. 
any transformation, any change, any, any uh, adjustment to our disposition, any fixing of our attitudes, any growth in love and grace, any deepening of our knowledge, any desire for God and His Word, any love for His people, any, any of these things that mark the maturing, the maturation of a believer, any of these things are a work of great power that He accomplishes through His Spirit. They do not come to us naturally. It is an internal work, hidden in the heart, yet real and evident in our actions. The inner being is a new creation, inwardly begotten by the Holy Spirit. It's what Ezekiel referred to when he talked about the new heart of flesh. It is responsive to the ongoing work of God through His Holy Spirit because it has been born of God. God has to do inner being work. Just as we cannot create a new heart, we cannot strengthen a new heart apart from the work of God through His Holy Spirit. So then as we grow in grace, we, receive gl- the, we give glory to God for what He is doing in us. This part of us will keep growing, this inner being, this new heart will keep growing in Christ's likeness even as we struggle in our flesh. Romans 7 verse 21 says, Paul talking about his own struggles, says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus delivers us from this body of death. He's continuing to do a work through the Spirit in our inner being, even though our flesh wages war against that. We praise God that he's the one at work in our heart because if it was up to us, we would fail. This inner being, this part of us will keep on growing in Christ-likeness even as our outer being wastes away, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This inner being part of us, this new heart will keep growing in Christ-likeness and for that reason, we keep on working hard for the Lord. Philippians 2, 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, here's the reason that we can work out our own salvation. For, because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, bringing about a transformation that cannot be explained and that cannot be made to happen on our own. We should desire the Holy Spirit's power to strengthen us as we work toward becoming who we already are. We are already, if you are truly a believer and have professed faith in Christ and turned from your sin and turned to Him alone, then you already are a saint. You already are a member in the household of God and therefore you are on a trajectory towards holiness, you are becoming what you already are. Now Paul goes on to a parallel phrase here that sheds even more light on this first prayer request. So I'm I'm going to label the second part of the first prayer request 1B. Paul intercedes on behalf of believers for them to be inwardly strengthened with Holy Spirit power. I know it says Holy Spirit spirit there, so 
please forgive me for typing the wrong word. It's supposed to be power, so fix it on your blanks if, it's, if you've got it wrong. So that Christ may have more and more access to their hearts. So that Christ may have more and more access to their hearts. Verse 17. So that, so we pray for this inworking power, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that brings the first part of the, the first prayer request to a close. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the next rung on this ladder. That Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Two questions I think we, we ask when we read this text here. Two questions at least that popped up into my mind. Number one, are we indwelt by the Holy Spirit or are we indwelt by Christ? Because the first part, the first part of these parallel phrases says there's an inner working of the Spirit. Now this one says being indwelt by Christ. So which is it? Is it? Are we indwelt by Christ or by the Holy Spirit? Second question that popped into my mind as I read this was, I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we're saved. So, so why is Paul praying that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Well, Christ does dwell in our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit. So let's answer the first question. Christ does dwell in our hearts, according to the text here, but he does it through the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in us is devoted to making the power and the presence of the risen Christ real to those whom he indwells. Hence, the experience of the indwelling of the Spirit and the indwelling of Christ is the exact same experience. There's not two different things happening here. That's why Paul uses them interchangeably, not only in this text, but in other texts in Scripture. Now, this verse here is probably the closest thing in the Bible that we have to the phrase that's very common today, we especially use it with children, of asking Jesus into your heart. But the better image here is is instead that that Jesus has come and taken up residence in our hearts. That, that he may dwell, that word literally means move in. Okay, that he may move in, that he may take up residence in your heart. There are two different Greek words for the, for the English word dwell. That's translated as dwell in the scriptures. One means a temporary dwelling, a kind of a passing through. Paul actually used that earlier when he was referring to uh, Greeks formerly being aliens. A temporary dwelling. But the other word means permanent residence. And that's the one that Paul uses here. Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has come and taken up permanent residence in our hearts. This is the closest thing we find in Scripture to that phrase, asking Jesus into your heart. Now the second question, which I asked was, I thought we received the Holy Spirit when we're saved. So why does Paul pray that Christ may dwell? Well, we do receive the Holy Spirit, and Christ does take up permanent residence in our hearts. Paul is not denying that with this prayer. Instead, he's asking God that more and more of our hearts might be surrendered to Christ. He has moved in, but does he have access to the whole abode? He has moved in, but does he have access to every room in the home? Now, I think if we're all honest, we all know that in our hearts there are secret places, or maybe not so secret places, that we are holding on to, that we have not given Christ access to, that we've not surrendered over to him and asked him to just take over. I've used the illustration before, but I think it kind of illustrates this point well. Now, you've got friends, and when friends come over to your house, you kind of have different levels of friends, right? There are those who can just come and make themselves at home. They have what I call refrigerator rights. They can come in, they can 
throw, the, throw their shoes off, lay on the couch, go get something out of the refrigerator. They have refrigerator rights. There are other people that you don't know so well. And they come in, and if they open your refrigerator, you're a little creeped out. What are they looking through my fridge for? You know, wh- why are they taking their shoes off? Get your shoes off my coffee table, buddy. You know, and there's different levels of friendship. And the question I have here is what level of dwelling does Christ have in my heart and in your heart? Does he have refrigerator rights? That he can go into any part, no matter how many crusties are in your refrigerator, no no matter how much is going on in your home, he can go to any room and do anything he wants in your home. Does he have the right to do that well of course he has the right have you surrendered those rooms over to the lord that's the question and so i believe that's what paul is talking about here he's talking about an ongoing indwelling that christ is accomplishing in the hearts of those who are maturing in their faith you want to cut short your maturity it can happen right here when we stubbornly hard-heartedly refuse to turn over parts of our life to the lord God, I have it made up in my mind. This is the way I want it to happen. This is the way I wanted to see, see it work out. This is the, the, the things I want to do. And Christ is banging on that bedroom door or whatever door it might be saying, give this room over to me. It belongs to me anyway. I paid for it with my blood. How dare you hold on to it? Christian maturity is an ongoing, and we have limitless rooms, an ongoing surrendering of every part of our life to God. Okay, God. (laughs) And and it's it's this ongoing struggle. It's our flesh that works against that, isn't it? It's this ongoing struggle. I think unless you are, unless you've gotten to the second half of verse 19, then, then I guess you're probably like me. And that is that every year God brings new things to the front that he says, okay, now I want to deal with this. And now I want to deal with this. And now I want to deal with this. And it's an ongoing battle. My flesh says, no way, God. Okay, that's one thing. But over here, no. And there's this surrendering that must always be happening. Paul wants Jesus to dwell more and more and more in our hearts. And that happens as we exercise faith. Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. It was an initial act of faith by which all believers are united to Christ. And that faith is to be followed by a life of faith by which that union is maintained and nourished. Christ continues to dwell and have more and more access as we believe him and reject Satan's lies. In other words, we battle unbelief. Life is a continual process of battling unbelief. And sometimes battling that unbelief, believing in Christ, means doing something that may be totally counterintuitive to us. We may think it's even counterintuitive to the purposes that in our life. But God has led us through faith to take steps of faith. We are to believe in him. We are to battle Satan's lies. We are to turn over everything to him and trust and believe that he has a good purpose in mind, a good purpose in hand for his children. Belief, faith, is always closely tied to love. The measure of love in our life is an outflow of faith. 
our surrender to Christ, our putting all of our weight upon Christ, our trusting in Christ with every aspect of our life, should produce a lifestyle of love. 1 John 3, 23 says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded. Therefore, we should not be surprised that the next prayer request and the next rung on this ladder begins with a petition about love. He wants us to grow inwardly in our maturity right here in our inner being so that we can love. After all, this is exactly what Jesus prayed on behalf of all believers. He says in John 17, 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So the inward work of Christ in our hearts is accompanied by an outflow of love. So the second request is this. Paul intercedes on behalf of believers for them to stand firm with radical and fundamental love. To stand firm with radical and fundamental love. So the first petition is all about the inward working of God in our hearts, strengthening us by the indwelling spirit, surrendering our hearts to the indwelling Christ. Maturity begins inwardly. Now Paul begins a new request uh, regarding love that flows out of that inward work. It says here that you be being rooted and grounded in love. So Paul kind of mixes his metaphors here. He has the right to do that. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. My English teacher never let me mix metaphors, but Paul can do it. Paul mixes metaphors here. He has a botanical metaphor and an architectural metaphor when he talks about us being rooted and grounded in love. He's done this before in Ephesians, and he does it in some of the other epistles as well, where he mixes a, a, an architectural picture with a, a picture of, 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 of botany or the growth of a plant or something like that. Rooted. Rooted means, means our nourishment, our filling, our spiritual health, our vitality comes from love. Without love, we have nothing. The word radical, the reason I used radical here. In your notes, the word radical is derived from the Latin word for root. Okay? If we have a radical love, it's a deep, strong, vital love to our well-being. He also talks about this, them being grounded in love. This is a builder's term, an architect's term, referring to something being placed on a good foundation. This love is also not only radical in that it goes down deep, it's also fundamental in that our whole Everything we stand on is to be loving. We are to, love is to be the foundation of everything we do. It's what keeps us firm in the midst of the storm. Thus we stand firm with a radical and a fundamental love. The Christian life is not Christian at all when it's separated from love. Love is our nourishment, our filling, and love is our rock, our firm foundation on which we stand. All else stands or falls with love. Now, what is the nature of this love? Well, it's the love of God revealed in Christ, poured out into his people's hearts by the Spirit, and then in turn overflowing out of his people onto one another and onto all. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Without love, our faith is dead. Our religion is a set of empty works. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I speak 
in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, how many would not like to have that described of them? Oh yeah, I know so-and-so, boy, he has prophetic powers and he understands mysteries and knowledge, has all sorts of faith. Man, he has the faith that can move mountains. Paul goes on to say, but have not love, so if you have all these things, but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing at all. If I give away all I have, I read Radical. Oh my goodness. Wow, that book, a movie, if you haven't read it. You read Radical, you're going, oh boy, I need to give away everything I have. If I give away everything I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, you go on short-term mission trips. You give it up for the Lord. If I do these things but have not love, I gain nothing. If we are not rooted and grounded in love, you're not going any further up this ladder. Matter of fact, everything up to that point means nothing. Because love should be the outflow of an inward work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You should be rooted and grounded in it. So Paul is praying for this. He wants his people to be rooted and grounded in love. And what do we gain when we are radically and fundamentally nourished and founded upon love? We gain a deeper and fuller walk with Christ and thus a deeper and fuller understanding of His love. So the second half of this petition about love, the first petition was about inward work of the Holy Spirit. Now this petition is about God's, about the, the love of God working through us and us understanding the love of God even more. So Paul intercedes on behalf of believers for them to stand firm with radical and fundamental love in order to understand and experience the full dimensions of Christ's love. That you, second half of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. When we are rooted and grounded in love, we are strengthened for the purpose of growing and knowing the love of Christ even more. Verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend, to know, to, to intellectually discern what, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Comprehend simply means to gain knowledge about. Look at what Paul is praying that we comprehend. Namely, that we comprehend the incomprehensible. He's wanting us to comprehend the, the height, the length, the depth, the breadth of the love of Christ. That's why the kids sang that song this morning. He wants us to comprehend this. Now, these, if you look at your text closely, you'll see these dimensions don't necessarily have a subject. But we can get the subject from the next verse to which this verse is attached due to them both being the same request, okay? So the, so the next, next verse is about the love of Christ. So this reference to height and depth and length and breadth, it's referring to the love of Christ. Now there is some disagreement here. Some scholars, um, you read, some commentators believe that this, 
dimensional description belongs to the mystery of Christ or is referring to the gospel. But, but even if Paul is referring to those truths, they too are inseparable from the love of Christ. For it's this love that he has, this deep, amazing love that he has that has mysteriously brought the Gentiles into his people. And it's in this love that he went to the cross. Paul elsewhere uses spatial language to refer to his love. Romans 8, verse 37 and following. He says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is interceding on behalf of believers, on behalf of Christians, that we would comprehend, that we would know the spectacular dimensions of God's love. As one person put it, I love this. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for all eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. There was a story I read, I came across as I was studying this week, of um, some people that went in after the Spanish Inquisition and lots of Christians, lots of believers were, were killed ruthlessly by a corrupt church. Um, there were some of the prisons that were, that were, where people were freed later on. And they went into one prison where the prisoner was dead. He had been dead for a while. He was already decomposing and his chains were still on him. And they saw on his wall a cross. He had drawn a cross and he wrote this. At the top of the cross he wrote height. At the bottom of the cross he wrote depth. At the right side of the cross he wrote width. And on the left side he wrote length. The image of the cross here helps us to see this huge, uh, incomprehensible, expansive uh, size of God's love. Do we really know how amazing Christ's love really is? A maturing believer, okay, is growing in his understanding of Christ's love. A person who is going up this ladder of maturity is growing in his understanding of God's love. He'll never get to the point where he has it all understood. But he's growing in his capacity to understand it, and therefore he's growing in his capacity to exhibit it. But notice something, this doesn't happen in isolation. It says here that he wants us to comprehend this with all the saints. Our brotherhood, our mutual accountability, our mutual encouragement is key to us being stirred up to know more and more of Christ's love and to live more and more of Christ's love. This brotherhood we have. So again, it's about the church. It isn't about your individual experience. It's about us growing together in love. All the saints together. Verse 19. Not only do we have to, does he want us to comprehend this, this incomprehensible, uh, spacious love of God. He wants us also, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Now this seems like a paradox. Paul wants us to know something that surpasses knowledge. Which is amazing. But it's not really a paradox because a person can know something without knowing it exhaustively. So the mysteries of the universe, for example, a person can, can know some of the mysteries of the universe, but we have to admit, I mean, even the greatest scientists in the world, astronomers of the world, will admit that they don't, they don't have it all figured out. Matter of fact, I would say they don't have most of it figured out. And they look, at the, they look and they can learn some things, and they can know about the universe, but they can't have all the knowledge of the universe. 
So that's what we, the picture here is, that this love of Christ is inexhaustible. We can know it, but not fully. Matter of fact, the depths of Christ's love is infinite, and thus we will spend an eternity knowing more and more and being filled more and more with His love. It lasts for eternity, because the depths of it are infinite. We also need to understand what this word know means here in the Greek. It's an experiential word, meaning that the, not just the ability to mentally grasp a concept. Paul's prayer here is that we experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know it experientially. Comprehending it is one thing, but experiencing it is another. So Paul prays both. He prays that we, we comprehend it, but also that we experience it. This is maturity in the Christian life. Inward maturity as we are strengthened inwardly uh, and we surrendered inwardly to the work of Christ in our heart. Outward maturity as we love and grow in our knowledge and experience of Christ's love. All driving to the final petition that flows out of these first two. Which is petition number three. Oh, bring that back for me if you would, guys. Go back one slide. Thank you. Tell you what, let's leave it on the clicker and I'll get there. All right, here we go. Paul intercedes on behalf of believers for them to attain to holiness and maturity that comes from God. Verse 19b, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now before we go any further, notice again the Trinitarian formula here. The first request is about the work of the Spirit. The second request is about the love of Christ. Now this third request is about the fullness of God. This happens all throughout the book of Ephesians. I love it. You cannot read the book of Ephesians and not see the Trinity. It's awesome. This is like the fourth time already, in, just up to this point, that this Trinitarian formula keeps popping up. So here it is again, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the pinnacle of Paul's prayer. This is the top of the ladder. What boldness of Paul here to pray this request. Paul is putting into practice what he said earlier in verse 12, that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We can come to the Father with confidence. We have have a high priest who is there interceding on our behalf, so we can come with bold request. He boldly requests that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. This is not a request that we become God, but that we become like him to the extent that a finite, redeemed human being can become like him. We are to become holy as he is holy. We are to mature and become holy. Holiness and maturity go hand in hand. This is what we're aiming at. This is what Paul is praying for us. This is what this fullness of God means. This is what's going to happen to all who are truly in him. Why could Paul pray so boldly? Because he knew he was praying according to the will of God. Whatever you pray according to the will of God, you know it's going to happen. You can believe it. You're going to receive it. It's going to happen. Paul knows for sure. He knows this is going to happen. He knows that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He knows that so he can pray boldly and say, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to grow in maturity and holiness. I want you to be holy as he is holy. He can pray a bold prayer like that because he knows it's God's will for all those who are truly his children. And he knows God is going to answer that prayer. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. That's pretty much a synonym for being filled with the fullness of God. 
It is a synonym for being filled with the fullness of God. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. It's a done deal. We shall be holy, for he is holy. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3.2 So as we reach the pinnacle of these requests. And when we think about being filled with the fullness of God. Hopefully we react the same way Paul did. That we're stunned. We with Paul here are left in amazement. And wonder at how such a thing could happen. How can it be that men, sinful men, can be filled with all the fullness of God? And so Paul, naturally, considering this amazing truth, bursts into doxology. He just burst into praise here. That's how he concludes the passage. How can this happen? This is how it happens. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You think about being filled with the fullness of God. You know and I know we can't do that on our own. There's no way. And so we think about it's a done deal. We read Romans 8. And we see that it's a done deal. We will be glorified one day if we are truly in Him. And so what can we do but just burst into praise and thank God for what he is doing in us to him who is able God is the one who is able not us he is the one who has the power to him who is able to do God is the one who works God is the one who does God is the one who brings our sanctification into effect to him who is able to do far more than we ask Not just more, but far more. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. Not just that he's doing more and far more, but far more abundantly than all we ask. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Because God is God and Christ has interceded and is our high priest. We can pray boldly and bravely. And we can ask And we can dream of what God wants to do in our lives. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us. This God is at work in those who by faith have been united to Christ. And it's an awesome fact indeed. To this God who works in such amazing ways, be glory, according to Paul here, be glory in the church And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. The power comes from him, and therefore the glory goes to him, and he is magnified. He is magnified in the work he's doing in his bride, the church, and he's magnified in his son, the groom, to whom the bride will be united for all eternity. And with this glorious doxology and praise, Paul brings the first half of the book of Ephesians to a close. All of Paul's epistles work this way. There is a section of teaching, doctrine, 
And then he goes into application. What do you do with Ephesians 1 through 3 after you read all this? Paul's about to tell us. And so he brings this first section, this doctrinal section of Ephesians to a close in a magnificent way. So the questions for us this morning is how are we progressing? This prayer has been prayed for us as well if you're a believer. How are we progressing? Are we experiencing the Spirit strengthening us to surrender areas of our lives over that we've never surrendered before? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit's convicting, painful, convicting work to jab into our hearts through His Word? The Word is the double-edged sword able to penetrate. Are we in the Word and God's Spirit is working through the Word to penetrate our heart and to show us areas that we need to say, Lord, I've sinned. I confess my sin and I turn that over to you. It's called obedience. And Jesus says that those who love him obey his commands. That's why the love comes next. Show me an unloving Christian and I will show you, if they truly are a Christian, I will show you someone that has unsurrendered areas in their heart. Without a doubt. If love is hard for you, if you're like me and it's just hard to love some people, it is more, it's not the problem with the people. It's not the problem with the love of Christ because it, it's pretty spacious. The problem is with me. There's something wrong here. There's a surrendering that needs to take place here. There's a confession that needs to take place here. And when I do that and I surrender and I become obedient that's when I begin to love those who love Christ or those who keep his commands. That's how I begin to love Christ and others. That's how my love blossoms for the church. That's how my love blossoms for those outside the church. Are you growing in your knowledge and experience of the deep love of Christ? Are we becoming more like him? Are we becoming holy as he is holy? Are there things this year that you don't do anymore? You can't stand it. You can't tolerate it. You can't even taste that. That sin, whatever it was, that used to was no big deal for you. And you're seeing a progression of holiness. Or, does none of this make sense to you? Because you don't even know the sun this morning. Let's praise Him. Let's pray to Him. Right now for the continuing sanctifying work he's doing in our lives. Let's pray for one another like this. I was so convicted this week because I, I have a prayer list. I try to pray for all of you guys regularly. But I'll confess. It's usually something along those lines. You know, oh, be with such and such family. Help them this week. Help so and so do their schooling. And Lord, just watch over their family today. How sad. Puny of a prayer. Look how Paul prays for the believers. I should be praying for your families and you should be praying for our family and for other families that, that God's Holy Spirit would strengthen us. That the inner being would be strengthened to do these battles, 
to, to let Christ dwell even more in our heart than ever before. I should be praying for Carrie that Christ will just take over his heart even more than it is today. I should be praying for Peter the same way, Ross the same way, the ladies in here the same way. I should be praying those things, but I'm too lazy in my prayers half the time, and my love isn't sufficient to pray like that most of the time. So I need to confess my sin to the Lord and ask God to help my prayer life, and I know you need it too. You need to be praying for the rest of the church the way Paul prayed for the church. Pray that Christ would take over, take our hearts over. And then pray that love would just explode, explode forth out of our hearts. And that we'd be rooted in it, that we'd be grounded in it. And thus we begin to grow in holiness. You need to be praying for my holiness. And I need to be praying for your holiness. It's as simple as that. Because we do this together with the saints. This is a church work. This was written to the church. This is written to church. Not just individual believers. Let's close by praying to him and asking him to do these things in our heart. To do these things in our lives. And if for some reason this morning you need to talk, you need to pray. I'll be here. Deemer's available in the back. Maybe just grab another church member to pray with. This is the body working together. If you want to come and respond with your prayer request, praises, leave your offering this morning, do that as well. However you feel led to respond, respond this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you all the glory. You deserve all the glory. You are the one who accomplished the work that's being done in our heart. You're the one who is working it making it happen now. You're the one who has secured it for the future. God, we praise you. I praise you that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. But God, I confess I'm so weak. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you'd have access to my heart this week, and I mean that, Lord. Lord, I know, even standing right here right now, I know of at least... Two or three different things that I'm holding on to right now that I've been fighting you about. Oh God, I can't turn them over. I need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work. Please, Spirit, work powerfully in my heart that I might turn these things over to Christ. I am such a wretched man. And God, I pray, Lord, for us as a church that together, we would be growing in love. We'd be rooted and grounded in love. Love for you. Love for one another. And love for those outside these walls. Oh God, move with a love and move in our understanding of your love. God, I pray, Lord, that this week we would just go to the scriptures and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me about this high, deep, wide, long love? This incomprehensible the depths of which I cannot plumb. What do you want to teach me about your love? Oh God, if there's any of us in here that think we've got it down, Lord, convict us of that sin. And grow us in the love of the Savior. And Heavenly Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we would be holy as you are holy. Oh Lord, there's so many things. So many things that stain our walk. So many foolish decisions and sins. And we know that we're not going to reach full holiness on this side of eternity. But God, don't let us stop working toward it. 
Don't let us stop working toward it. May we not go on sinning. Let it not be. Let it not be that we go on sinning. So God, I pray now that you'd move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, have your way. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Spirit. We love you, Father. We pray now that you have this response time. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom we have been united. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand if you would. Again, because of our transition phase of music, we're going to close with a song. It's going to be on the screen, so sing along. It's a very familiar song. Let's sing about this amazing deep love of Christ. During this time, respond in prayer. Bring your request, however God might be leading you to respond this morning.